Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Say What You Mean. I'm Jeff. I'm Jake. And I'm CJ. Okay, there was no inflection, but your face had inflection. (laughs) (laughs) Your face had confused. But I posed it as a question. I don't think that... No, I'm Jake? Yeah. That's how you said it. You said, I'm Jake. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, I tried. Maybe to, I'm wrong. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, listen. When we listen back, we'll uh, we'll see if I there don't was listen any to this stupid show. You don't? No, that's too kidding. bad. I listen to it. Nobody everyone. does. <laughs> yes, they do. I know. I'm kidding. We get people. We get listeners. We well, like. Hey, don't the 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 five people that listen. Yeah. Thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Over and over. One <laughs> of them sitting right here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, I've gotten better. I listen to the ones when I'm on, and it's not as like I know exactly what you guys are talking about by not listening because uh-huh. when I did a podcast in my previous job yeah i hated listening back because i would record it and then i would listen to it so extensively when i would do the edit and yes. then by the time it was done i was like i don't want to hear my voice ever again the nice thing about the show is like we've gotten away from editing like the first episodes oh, i edited gosh. a bunch yeah, 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 yeah. but now it's just i don't edit anything mm-hmm. i put it up and go let yeah. it fly i edited someone's name out last yeah, week but I, I talked to him uh, i was like hey dude because he started listening to the mm-hmm. show i was like i said your name and but i edited it out because i didn't know if you wanted me to share like who you voted for and he's like i don't care but i appreciate that and yeah. i was like okay cool um but even that is like a pain in the ass to do but mm-hmm. otherwise we just let Cause, it go because you have to go find it yeah i yeah. mean that's not hard i usually know mm-hmm. um in our, in our um, so like we're recording to the Republic because I yeah. do all the editing. For oh that. yeah, and that like that's you, what I was gonna that, bring it's up. It's just ugh, that's gross because you have to like get it down to exactly fifty eight minutes, but yes. with ad spots that vary in length, and so it's like you never know exactly how long you're supposed to record for right like this we have episodes that range anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half mm-hmm. we've had a couple of episodes early that in our run long. that went two hours yeah. so it's uh it it's just yeah now and in, in plus two like i feel like when we first started we had a lot of but ums um yeah like a lot of during the show yeah we said a lot of ums oh, okay. first like for sure we say it, that too and <laughs> a lot of for sures yeah and now that we've we've gotten way more comfortable and this is just more routine yeah i feel like you don't have to edit as much because our i don't know i think our flow is so much better so too, than it yeah. used to be let's um, pat ourselves on the back hey, here a little well bit. done guys <laughs> Great job. And then CJ just jumps in and he's just the natural and mm-hmm. crushes it every time. Yep. I do say, though, when I'm here, it's so different than when I'm like live texting you guys my commentary as I'm listening. It's, yeah. it, it, it's a different kind of environment. It's like it is. It's like working without a net to be sitting in the room and having to like make those thoughts on the fly. Yeah. And, oh, it sucks. But it sucks. Mm-hmm. But, but it's so much fun. Yeah. You have to you have to let. You know, sometimes those pauses or those, or those silences just feel like forever. And then you listen back and you're like, oh, that's literally just a beat of silence. Yeah. That's one thing that you kind of taught me, too, is that it sounds more natural. So, you, like, I remember that's something that always stays in my mind when I'm editing to the Republic because there's a lot of times, like, I want to cut those pauses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, when you cut them and then you listen back and it, it doesn't sound natural, right? right? It sounds kind of doctored. You need that so beat there. letting them go. But... I cut, so I had to edit. There's a to to, to the Republic is gonna is gonna air tomorrow mm-hmm. as well on KXRW, and we just thankfully we've got almost backlog now now. So if we end up missing multiple weeks, right. we can we can uh, we're gonna have a lot of we have we'll have backup anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I edited out. I'm not kidding you. Two minutes of ums. 
<laughs> Dude, what you should do is compile one track of just ums. Mm-hmm. So it's like um 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 um. Just yeah, all it was ums. all on one half. It's all on one 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 person's track yeah dude we that'd were. be amazing you should do that it, it is it's a lot of uh yeah um and dude, yeah it's, it's that's awesome know. yeah i mean there's sometimes where i wanted to do that like uh, mm, eh, mm, uh and just put all of them in one track <laughs> then auto-tune it yeah so, and put a beat to it mm-hmm. <laughs> that'd be awesome well it's wednesday it is wednesday and i'm sitting here with you guys how do we feel today? Uh, today, because no one listened to last week. No, we had yeah. I'd... Well, I mean, and I get it though because it came out on Thursday, and Thursday we were like, "What's gonna happen?" And then we knew Saturday, mm-hmm. so it's like within two days that episode's already irrelevant. Yeah, we. Although I, think, I'm just kidding. I felt like we did a good job of of keeping the topics to a point where it wasn't like. We're trying to talk about the election itself. It right. was like processes. Yeah. Go listen to it. Haters. I thought it was a good episode. <laughs> I thought it was a really good episode. So yeah. I think we helped to, even if it was for that narrow window. And I would say some of this still applies because as we sit here today, there are several states who have not called a final result. And right. we have a couple states that are probably within a window where there will be a recount. And so I think the whole discussion about how that stuff happens at each individual state's level and it's not a one-size-fits-all approach or process Mm -hmm. was useful last week in understanding how things were going and is useful even now um, with conversations that continue to happen. I went back and looked because of some of the conversations that have been happening around the um, legitimacy of this election and or who determines the results because there's been a lot of conversation about the media doesn't do that. Yeah. So I went back to look and see when the 2016 election was certified, uh-huh. um, which was on January 6, 20, uh, oh. 2017. Right. So my, my point with that is we've talked a lot in this and I appreciate you guys coming back to the idea of norms and right. it's historically, it has been typical for the media to make a projection, which we then take as announcing who the president is, right. but that's not actually official and final until uh, that certification takes place. Which makes sense. And I texted you guys the other day and I was just like, dude, Trump is banking on stupidity. And like, so I was, I got a lot going on as you both know. So I woke up at like 5:45 with anxiety and just started thinking about everything going on that I got to do. And mm-hmm. I'm leaving for Texas tomorrow. And I started thinking about, Donald Trump and I started thinking about just his early attacks on the media and fake news and before he was president everybody kind of just like okay dude like let's be real it's not fake news you're annoying but then as he becomes president and continues that the the reliance or belief that that is true just grows and strengthens which is just all a pretense to getting here where we are where people are making that argument of like the media doesn't call it and I'm just laying there at 545 thinking this going, you son of a bitch. Like, he, he, it's, it's just all been one giant plan. Like, you can literally lay out the things he said and how it's all culminated to get here. Mm-hmm. It's gross. 
Def- like defunding the USPS and 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 saying that mail-in voting's fraud and, and then saying that news is fake and then the media calls it and then it's like well the media doesn't call it <sighs> what do you guys think you guys are sitting there staring at me well <laughs> I, I I just I find it I find it hilarious that it's it's now they want to rely now they want to um, fall back on process. Well, the media doesn't call it. Oh. It, needs to be, it needs to be processed. It's our institutions. The president's within his legal right to do all of this stuff and to question it. It's like, well, you can't pick and choose when you want to use process. Oh, yes, you can. Well, yeah, you can. It's <laughs> So I want to I parse really quick because you just used a word that I have seen thrown around a lot mm-hmm. for a while, but particularly in the last couple of weeks. And um, it's the word they. So when we say they in the context we're talking about, we're talking about the president and uh, his advisors and largely members of the Republican Party and his supporters who are um, saying those things. The reason the reason I want to I want to bring that up is because there has been a lot of accusations pushed the other way about fraud and plots to manipulate vote totals and counts and those get attributed really ambiguously to they Mm. and i was i was telling my wife last weekend as pennsylvania was really in the spotlight for that and as um and georgia to an extent but as the secretaries of state Mm -hmm. and you know the people who are in charge of those processes were stepping into the spotlight and saying that's not true like we have conducted a fair and free election we've been doing all the things we always do to ensure voter fraud doesn't happen. Um, and we don't have evidence to suggest that it has or that anything is abnormal compared to any other election we've ever held. I was I was telling my wife, like, if I was one of those people and the president was using the word they and pointing at my state, I I would have been really tempted and it'd be a, probably a really dangerous political move, but to come out and say, I need you to be specific with who you are referring to when you say they, mm-hmm. because what you're talking about is part of my purview of responsibility. And if you're talking about me, I want you to put my name to the accusation and then I want you to produce proof. All right. Um, I sent Flex you gu- on the president, bro. <laughs> I sent you guys a thing um, yesterday mm-hmm. and it, uh, I was going back to kind of my prediction of the, the judicial branch being that sort of last res- last line of defense and oh, pr- yeah, yeah. protecting us in the context of this election. And so it was a transcript from one of the challenges in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And the judge that was considering the case, like asked the the legal representation from the president who'd brought the challenge, like two very specific times, like, so you are saying that you believe that fraud has been committed in this election. And the the legal representative said, not to my knowledge. And then they said, like, so I want to circle back and be really clear and specific mm-hmm. on what you're asking and, and what your case is based on. And, like, trying to get them to, like, go on the record and say, like, this is what we are alleging happened. This is right. this is what we are going to prove or ask the state to disprove. And both times the lawyers were very careful not to commit to saying something specific. It was kind of like we're, we're just fishing out there. Yeah. Wasn't there an individual who like, reda- like retracted his statements that there was? It was fraud? a U- USPS worker. Right. Yeah, he went to Project Veritas, which is just it's basically it's OA it's OAN but uh-huh. on YouTube. Okay. There, it's this project that 
they call themselves Veritas is Latin for truth. Uh-huh. And it's this, they're exposing the, uh-huh. you know, the liberal corruption all Thank around, the, all that. around the world, all around the world. Um, world. Yeah. I mean, oh, okay. it's, it's all, I mean, Veritas is in England. You know, they, 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 they have contributors okay. gotcha. from all over the place. Um, but it's mostly in the United, I mean, it's most decentralized in the United States, yeah. but he, uh, he went on Veritas and claimed these things. So then the justice department went and, and uh, pressured him on him, and then he recanted everything that he said. Yeah. And then now, yesterday, came out back with Project Veritas saying that he didn't actually recant everything he said to prosecutors. So basically, like when he was forced to go on record, he he said he lied. But then now he's trying to. I so, mean, he's still tra- He's basically like, I'm not going to get in legal trouble, right? I'm not, I'm not lying. I didn't lie to you guys, but I'm just going to go out and float all this to and lie. continue to lie to the public because there's no ramifications <laughs> for spreading disinformation. So I asked Trump supporters what they thought about like him taking back his statements, and they said, yeah, the Democrats probably threatened to kill him, which is probably true. Who threatened to kill him? Ah, I knew you weren't listening, you <laughs> SOB. <laughs> Busted. Busted. I told Trump supporters that, like, what do you think about him taking it back, mm-hmm. his statements? And oh. they're like, oh, yeah, it's because the Democrats probably threatened to kill him. Oh. It's always a conspiracy, yeah, I dude. had a guy come in and wanted his background, like, the originals of his background check forms. <laughs> okay. Because he, he purchased a gun about a month ago. Yeah. And he wanted his background check forms back because he was, for, he's, he said when we told him we couldn't give them those, yeah. we have to keep them. And he's like, well, Democrats are going to come kill me. They're going to come pull all these records. They're going to come kill me. Whoa. Yeah. There's, dude, there's just, it's crazy. It's weird. It's so weird. I made a, I made a dangerous bet, guys. I made an, I upped a bet. <laughs> so I bet that Biden would win the election. First of all, Biden won the election mm-hmm. uh, fair and square. Um, so I bet according to the liberal media, Jeff. according to me, and I'm not, I'm never wrong, Jake. You're never wrong. See, <laughs> so um, I met I made three twenty dollar bets. I made two twenty dollar bets in 2016 on November 5th. I said Donald Trump will not win re-election. Boom, won that bet. So then I made a bet with a Trump supporter at work, my at my new job, that Biden would win. Boom, won that one. So now he won't pay me because. Two people won't pay me because Donald Trump hasn't conceded or because that the media doesn't call the election, which Welchers, dude, scoundrels. Right. So then I said, OK, I'll up you on that. I go double or nothing. Forty bucks. Biden gets inaugurated and you give me 40 bucks or you don't owe me anything. And he's like, F that. I'm not doing that. I go, OK, I get a Trump tattoo if Biden doesn't get inaugurated. And if he and if Biden, sorry, if Biden gets inaugurated, you give me 40 bucks. If he doesn't, I'll get a Trump tattoo. He took it. Idiot. <laughs> Idiot. But also, if I have to get a Trump tattoo, I'm going to be pissed. Is that why you asked? <laughs> is that why? Yeah. Is that why you asked me last night what I thought about Trump stepping down? Yeah, I'm a little afraid. <laughs> <laughs> but I figure if I have to get a Trump tattoo, I'll just get that like a little image of him as that blown up baby. Mm, not, it's it, silly. It, it didn't. It didn't say uh, specifically what type of. Well, he tattoo. was like, "Dude, you can't get some tiny ass Trump tattoo. It's got to be like two inches." And I was like, "All right." He's like, "Where are you gonna get it?" I was like, "I don't know. I'll probably get it over here on my leg or something." He's like, "Deal." I was like, "All right." So it's either forty bucks or I hate my life. 
<laughs> I would. Anyways, I would say the the simple counting uh, puts you in a pretty safe place. I, I, I yeah. I pulled the numbers because I hadn't seen um, where they were, and I just happened to see it pop up in a tweet, which was super handy. So as of this morning, um, Biden leads in Arizona by thirteen thousand ballots. Uh, how much in, is, do we know how much the percentage of counting? He's behind the. He's behind where he needs to be to pass Biden. Yeah, he's got a. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, fourteen thousand vote lead in Georgia. So that one's grown. That mm-hmm. one was like under two thousand even just a few days ago. I think right. so, or maybe a week ago. But it's had significant growth. Uh, Thirty-seven thousand vote lead in Nevada and forty-eight thousand vote lead and growing every Whoa. time results come in in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So by the time they get to provisional ballots, his lead will probably be north of seventy thousand. Wow. So even if the 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 late arriving ballots get thrown out the election doesn't change yeah the, yeah the outcome doesn't change and i think i heard there was only like because they've stopped collecting those that was only last week and there was only i think it was like 15 or twenty thousand that came in that way and those are those are not included in this count in total um in the popular vote biden's lead is 5.1 million and continues to rise mm-hmm. as gammon um I sent this stat to you guys, and I hadn't heard it stated the correct way. Biden holds the largest vote share for a challenger since FDR in 1932. So so when a challenger has defeated an incumbent, Mm -hmm. Biden has done it by the largest margin since FDR in 1932. Um, Was that Hoover? Yeah. Okay. So... At any rate, that's that's all to say. I think you're you're from a numbers perspective, your bet is safe. Um, I freaking hope so. <laughs> and honestly, I think from from a court's perspective, yeah. your bet is safe. And I have to believe that that means uh, from an institutions of government perspective, mm-hmm. um, and checks and balances, God, and so. um, the government working for the country and the constitution, not for the president. Right. That your bet is safe in terms of if someone refuses to leave their job. Yeah. Um, the people that answer to the constitution will do their job in removing that person, right. not follow the order that that person may give them. So all that's to say, I yeah. think we're in this weird, I, I was thinking this week, how is history going to look at this period? Like to us, it's I a, that every a day, huge dude. deal and it seems like so crazy. Yeah. Um, but is it going to, is it going to resonate in the same way no. like 20 years from now? Or is it just going to be like, there was kind of this weird thing, and, yep. but ultimately the result was what it always is. Yep. Or or will it be something that's like, I don't know, the Cuban Missile Crisis or something like that, where it's like it becomes oh, this I get significant moment in history. Right, that's taught. Which 2020 is like that all, all the way around. I was right. talking with um, one of my former classmates and we were saying like, it's going to be crazy to have like history textbooks on 2020 and it'll be like almost if you're going to do a thesis, you can't do it on like the year of 2020. You have to do it on like 48 hours within the year because of how insane everything has been. What I, that, that brings up an interesting point from a historian's perspective. This is getting super nerdy, but I was thinking that, to your point is, you know, we, you and I, Jake, have talked about this on the show a bunch of times. Like, 
a lot of times history just looked kind of blanketed like, oh, here's an event that happened or here, you know, there's the Dust Bowl. Mm -hmm. And like we read that great book about the Dust Bowl. And so we got to see like the ins and outs of like daily lives and how the government operated. And but that's something very narrowed and specific that. But generally, it's like, oh, there was a Dust Bowl. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And in your so to your point with 2020, I think, you know, it'll be interesting if people are just like, yo, 2020 was crazy. And here's the year generally. But then I guarantee there's going to be, you know, historians who break it down to like specific events of like, you know, here's January, not even timelines, but I'm going to use a timeline to break it down. Like, oh, let's just focus specifically on the events that happened between January and March. And then it's more in depth and more, you know, picked apart and like, you know, all this stuff that happened. We I, th- I always come back to the first just real national tragedy of Kobe Bryant dying. But you know what I mean? I say like just people like picking apart as as a whole as a whole year. It's going to generally get looked and studied as a whole year. Like, oh, here's a year. There's kind of an important election and this happened and this happened. But if you really get to the weeds of like the day to day lives of people and how they had to live and we're all wearing masks. And I think it's it's way it'll be way more interesting. But I don't know if we'll get to that depth of of teaching or explanation of the year Mm -hmm. well i think 2020 in the trump administration so like a lot of times when you read like academic uh scholarly journals of like historic events right Mm -hmm. you you always see like a pretty broad time range of like anywhere from like 10 to 50 years depending upon the 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 change you're trying to show in a in a particular process right so for me when i wrote in the you know, seek recruitment in the British Army and in the British Colonial Army of India from 1856 to 19, I think it was like 1920. Like I wanted to, you, that was a pretty, that's like seven, that's a 70 year block that you're trying to have to, you you have to use to show significant amount of change. Mm -hmm. I think that like to to your point about how historians are going to write about this time, that block shrinks to be able to show significant change you could in in from a period of you know multiple decades to a period of four years or even one year just because the amount of the amount of just turnover and change that you saw oh, yeah. in this administration and within this country and this world over this period of time um i think just one it re- it reflects the the man who was in office because he was so chaotic and he created chaos all around him mm-hmm. uh, and he's still doing that. So I don't know. Like I view him as like the the best um, self educated civics self education civics lesson oh. of all time. Because who knew that there is a GSA General uh, what is it General Services Administration mm-hmm. that signed that is the the people who sign off on a transition of power, right? And then that gives ten million dollars to that's a great the, point to the and president elect an office space to start that transition into go out and try to hire people i had no idea until that yesterday yeah that's a good point i mean as much as this guy has torn apart and torn up the fabric of our institutions and our norms yeah he's also illuminated a ton of them well that and i we have, didn't know about and i have just everyday people like um, which i are my drivers you know working class people out there working every day Hold on, Jen's gonna grab my keys. Coming up to me and and talking about that position and that role and that responsibility of that person, mm-hmm. and I'm like, whoa! 
Like, would they know this otherwise? Probably not. No. No. Donald Trump, making America great again. <laughs> I, I even had that experience of this is the first time I've ever gone on the county's website to confirm that my ballot was received, which, which um, going back to this whole concept of they, mm-hmm. so if they have infiltrated Clark County and uh, right. manipulated our election outcomes, we should be able to go on to the county website and I could search for each of you guys by name and see if you turned in your ballot. Yeah, yeah. So... There's a there's a documentation there that shows that there is a name attached to each of those. Right. And granted, it would be a really laborious process to go and say, like, hey, every single person that shows up on this list as having returned a ballot, did you actually return a right. ballot? But to me, that provides a degree of confidence. And it would be interesting to know how many other c- counties around the nation have a process similar to that. Yeah. But, I mean, that's essentially what a county uh, auditor and the secretary of state do that's that's part of what their responsibility is and i I go back to you know seeing those people in the national spotlight and like Mm -hmm. right if you were the secretary of state for michigan did you ever expect that you'd go on cnn as part of your job and like defend the integrity of your state elections but but that's where we are and it's Mm -hmm. cool to see those people showing up and and representing snapshots of what's happening in all the states around our country right. and the the really important work that those local elected officials do. And we've talked about that before in terms of as you're filling out your ballot, like knowing and, and understanding and investing um, in what's happening in your local community. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the guy, I feel bad. <laughs> Talk about state secretary, yeah. sec- secretary of states or state attorneys general. Um the one I feel the wor- the worst for is George's. Yeah, God, that guy. Like both Loeffler and Purdue, the the two Republicans running for those Senate seats in Georgia, mm-hmm. have both called for his resignation, citing that he, you know, basically saying that he he's allowed widespread voter fraud to happen and he's messed up their wow. elections yeah. with no evidence. And basically, and he came out and defended himself and said, you know, I if those guys should be more worried about the fact that they're in a runoff instead of, um, instead of coming at, (laughs) instead of basically coming at me. Yeah. And could you imagine like you live your entire life, right? You you see yourself as a conservative Republican and your job, you, you take your job seriously. Like you are the secretary of state of Georgia to run a fair election, regardless of the outcome. And you do your job by all, like perfectly, by all means, considering how all of the challenges of COVID-19, voting by mail and making right. sure all of these states are, all these counties are coordinated and we're getting, and you're constantly getting bombarded by every news station. What's going on in Georgia? What's going on in Georgia? In Georgia? All these campaigns coming to you. Yeah. When, are you going, when are you going to have results in? And then having to go on, go in front and give multiple speeches and try to reassure confidence. Just to have the elected officials from your own party call into question your ability to to do your job, not because you actually failed in your job, but because you didn't produce the outcome that they needed you to produce Ooh. for part for partisan politics reasons. Yeah, just I I feel horrible for that guy, and he <laughs> voted for and he openly said he voted for Trump too. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow, dude. I, but he's still the enemy because what? He didn't rig the election for Republicans? Is that basically what they're saying? Because Sounds that's like that's it. what Loeffler and that's what Loeffler and Purdue's statements basically say to me. You let the Democrats win, therefore you're bad at your job. Because there other than that, there's no there's no justification for their attacks on on him. 
Also, after 2016, everybody's saying not my president. I'm hearing that an awful lot right now. Well, and the door's been left open for that because there hasn't been a concession. Right, right. Um, I was going to say, too, I saw an article about, I'm not sure if it's an elected official or, mm-hmm. a, or a 2022 candidate for in the state of Montana, but they're already running on a platform of um, passing legislation that would allow mail ballots to be counted as soon as they come in. We talked last time. I'm so about, glad you brought that up. We, I wanted to say something about it. Go ahead. So, but we talked about that last time about yeah. how the inconsistency this year was a lot to do with how each state handled yes. early and mail ballots versus in-person ballots. And um, the fact that that's determined at the state and county level, not at a federal level. Right. And I think the the process was set up this time. There's, uh, I shouldn't say I'm... I'm doing one of those they statements. Right. In several of the states like Pennsylvania, where that's become a big issue, you can look at the legislation and how things were passed starting late last year, because that's when they talked about expanding mail voting in Pennsylvania was October of last year. Mm -hmm. And as that process had gone on, the Republican legislature had basically made the rules for how those ballots would be handled and counted. And so that created the conditions where those largely Biden favoring mail ballots were not allowed to be counted until the largely Trump favoring in-person ballots or in-person voting, yeah, I guess it's ballots, were counted first. Right. So that creates that narrative that makes it look like these ballots that came through the mail are somehow being manipulated or helping to produce a result that one party wants over another. Right instead of being representative of the actual people who cast the vote. So the whole picture, right. I, I think that's been an awakening for people too of of in each state understanding how that process works. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it last time, but you know, Florida is a state where ha- they had major problems with ballots in the past. And as a as a local and state government, they've recognized that and they've created processes where mm-hmm. now they're really good at that. They're right. one of the first states to to go to close their polls because they're on the East Coast, but they're also one of the fastest states to produce results. Right. And it's a state with tons and tons and that tons of awesome. voters. Yeah. So a listener came up, uh, came to me and said, uh, he goes, hey, you know, you guys, you said something in the episode that I kind of disagree with. And I was like, what's that? He goes, I can't remember. You were all for it. Then he came back to me. He's like, I remembered what it was. And I was like, what's that? And he goes, you were all hyped on them counting the ballots early, like as they came in. And I was like, well, yeah. And he was like, I disagree with that. And I was like, okay, well, why? And I hope you're listening, you SOB. <laughs> but he was like, uh, his point was that this is hilarious because I kind of, <laughs> he was like, dude, I, what if, what if, you know, if there's supposed to be secrecy or whatever, and what if they see like, oh my gosh, there's like way more Joe Biden ballots in here. And then they start telling people. And I was like, time out, dude. You're telling me, so for example, Clark County, there's people working in there in the elections office counting ballots early that are coming in, and they go home and they tell their husband or wife, dude, I think Joe Biden might win Clark County, that that's going to impact the entire outlook of the entire election from one county in one state? Well, he didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know, to to reinforce his point, right? Not Clark County, but right? right... Give me Bucks County or Erie County in yeah. Pennsylvania, and if you're telling me that there was a, a significant number of of 
ballots turned into Bucks County for Biden. Mm -hmm. That could give you an indication of how Pennsylvania is going to go in a key swing state that's going to be determined by tens of thousands of of votes instead of hundreds of thousands of votes. I don't know. I could... I can kind of see his point, right? But you, I trust those election officials. I trust election officials to mm-hmm. be bipartisan because they haven't ever given us any reason not to trust them. Mm, and that's a good point. so I, I mean, I, I there are people who out there who have integrity, right? <laughs> and there's a lot more of us who have not integrity. The government. Who have who? There's a lot more of us that have integrity and hold up vote, like our elections as paramount and above right. our self interests of how we want it to go. That I'm like I totally have 100 percent faith in. No matter when those ballots are counted, that they're going to get counted accurately. Fairly, yeah. I think too. I I definitely hear that that feedback and concern. That's something I I think about too in terms of if you're counting the ballots early, what does that mean in terms of people potentially seeing trending or right. or that information getting out? I want to be really clear that counting the ballots early is totally separate from reporting those results. Yes. Yeah. Because I agree, if you start reporting results early, that has significant implications yeah, on oh yeah. um, narratives that are told. I mean, because that's that's like polling, but but actually accurate. Yeah, and that could affect voter turnout. Yeah, right. Be, yeah. So the but the alternative that's is if point. if if as a community or as a government we decide okay we don't want to start counting those votes early because we see those risks then that also means as a government and as a community or society we have to accept that then the results come in at the speed at which we are able to count them right. and and that's a point so if I you're up. if you're saying we don't start counting until the polls close then it's not necessarily realistic to expect that we're going to have those results on election night. Right. And, and so I think that's just fundamentally as, as we change one, we had a year of historic voter turnout, Mm -hmm. which is a, you know, even if all those votes had been cast in the traditional ways in each state, Mm -hmm. that was going to create logistical challenges just with the volume of ballots that were coming in. But then you also had the complexity of many States deploying absentee or vote by mail much more broadly than they ever had, um, partly because of the pandemic. And I think other states have also looked to expand that to increase opportunity for voter turnout, which... um, That's not a bad thing. It's 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 not. It's a bad thing when you're the minority party. Oh, well, yeah. (laughs) So, but but I think all of those things work together to create conditions where we have to continue to figure out how we refine the process to be able to serve the reality and the world that we're in right now. So like I said, that's either you find ways to make sure those results are available on election night, or you set an expectation and an understanding that we're counting more ballots than we've ever had. And this is the way we're doing that. And so this is what that means for results being delivered. And that's one of the points that I brought up in the discussion with him is like, so if you don't count them early and okay, from election day on your, your, you start counting, what are the pressures of everything else look like on those trying to count it? And how does that affect accuracy or, or, you know, just the whole process Mm -hmm. in general, which is why I think the States did a good job. uh, At least the ones that were in the spotlight, right? Nevada, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, in basically saying we're going to count so many ballots per day 
Yeah. Where they they gave ahead they gave ahead of time like Arizona would come out and say by 6 p.m. we're going to release a tranche, tranche of about 40,000 ballots and that's going to be mm-hmm. it for the day. Mm-hmm. And giving their I think giving their poll workers that time to rest. Right. Decompress so they can continue to do their job. Um they can continue to do their job in an efficient manner. And I'm guilty of this. I was, I was like, what the hell is going on in Nevada? Like I even said, I, I think I even called them lazy at one point. Like I was guilty of it. Cause I'm like, right. what? Cause you, you guys are taking another day off because you guys worked so hard and released those 10,000 ballots out of Clark County. And like, but then you think about it, 10,000 ballots for how many poll workers in one ma- major County in Nevada. Like, yeah, that's probably still a lot of ballots. And to me, it's like, well, Pennsylvania is releasing, you know, tranches of a hundred thousand ballots in a day what are you guys doing well then difference in population which is going to be differences in how many people are working the mm-hmm. polls and like maybe the percentage of votes being released out of nevada was actually probably the same of total votes cast as it was being in pennsylvania because, because pennsylvania has more poll workers so i don't know more ballot counters it's just <laughs> this wasn't this is was a very stressful election it was crazy <laughs> it was very stressful how do you guys feel about biden winning I mean, obviously, we're we can all take a collective breath, right, and in a sigh of relief. Yeah. And do I feel I I feel um, I feel hopeful. Uh, I feel hopeful because of all the things that are going to be reversed. Right. Even if he's not the world's greatest president, right? There is still like he is so much more of the mainstream American president in terms of ideology especially foreign policy mm-hmm. and i'm saying i sent you guys i'm like the world trade organization is, mm-hmm. is essentially saved at this point right and america's role within the institutions is going to be re reestablished or at least being put on put on a path towards mend right and at, even if that is as far as he's able to go being able to just putting like he's stopped the break in the dam and that I consider a win. And for me, that's hopeful. So if that's like the furthest he goes, I feel good about it. And that's what gives, that's what, that's what I, that's what gives me hope. Um, there's a few things that are already coming out that I'm like, uh, I don't like a rhetoric we'll get to this. I said, I wanted to talk about the specific word mandate. And this is something that mm-hmm. is very purposefully being put into Joe Biden's and Kamala Harris's speeches. Um, and I want to talk about that, but we'll get to it once you guys, let's, Let's go around the table to talk about how we're feeling, and then eventually we'll get naturally we'll get to the mandate. But we do need to talk about it. Sure, um, I s- similarly like have a, a feeling of relief. Um, and it was interesting Saturday night to listen to you know what amounts to the victory speech at this point. Right. Um, and I thought he did such a good job of kind of building off of his closing message, mm-hmm. which is. I'm here to be an American president for all Americans, not just people who voted for me. And in the days since that, I've really been thinking about that and looking at conversations that have that are being had about the prospect of a Biden-Harris presidency. And he's coming into what's going to be a really, really difficult position, not just because of some of the things you talked about, Jake, with... Um, what his predecessor has done to some of our institutions and norms and trying to find our way back. But he's likely going to be taking office um, without controlling either chamber of the legislative branch, right. which is really uncommon. Are they going to lose the House? 
Uh, or I guess they'll have the House, but they have loved, lost seats in the House. Mm-hmm. But he, w- yeah, he won't have control he of the small, Senate. A smaller margin, so the less yeah. he can have less to Democratic defection. And, mm-hmm. and this is what I want to get to with that. So um, he's kind of going to be in a position where he's got to go back to his buddy Mitch McConnell that he's worked with in the Senate for decades and or for years and years and and say, listen, for the good of the country, we've got to figure out how we create some common ground and and pull in the same direction. While at the same time, with that smaller margin in the House, he's got people who say the American people voted for a Democratic president. They are signing on for our agenda and the Mm. things that we want to do, the progressive uh, steps that we want to take for this country. And he's going to have to say, slow your roll, pump your brakes. And he's he's addressed that well previously. Um, I think it was in one of the debates, Trump tried to really nail him as being that really far left uh, proxy. And Biden said, I want to be clear, none of those people that you're mentioning or those, those folks that really advocated for those ideas are your opponent on this debate stage. It's me. I defeated those people in the primary, so the American people that have supported me signed on for my agenda, which is which is not what those people stand for, which I think really helped him with moderates, but it also, again, is going to create the uh, challenge within the Democratic Party. He's going to have to he's going to have to take people that have really idealistic views of what they would like to see happen, and they have been waiting for the opportunity where the executive branch of government gives them ability and agency to move that ball further down the field, and he's going to have to manage expectations and. Um, I think he's also in a unique position to do that because I really believe his intent is to be a one-term president. Right. And so he almost comes that. in like a second term where he he can be really clear about this is, this is how and what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. I was telling my wife, too, over the weekend, um, when he named Kamala Harris, one of the immediate attacks that happened was, I believe, I think it was around health care. And I think she'd come out and said she was really in support of Medicare for all, mm-hmm. and Biden had said he wasn't. And so people immediately were trying to create a wedge there. And she very clearly said, I'm Joe Biden's vice president. My job is to support and um, help him execute his platform and his strategy for the nation. And I think that's a really good example. And it's so important. A lot of um, what government is about is finding that consensus. And um, compromise doesn't have to be a dirty word. Um I was talking, I think I was talking with you and my brothers, and I was saying, you know, our original constitution only got passed because Mm. a number of our founding fathers sort of held their nose and said, we're going to allow slavery to exist in our country, Um, even though fundamentally we don't think that's a good thing. We're going to kick that can down the road because we've got to have something that we can all agree on. And um, I think that'd be really tough. It's no matter what, when you're in that kind of a position, there are going to be things that uh, you have to you have to make some compromise, and you hope that it's not something like that where you really really regret it down the road. But um, I just think he's going to be in a really interesting position where he's going to be um, having to try and drive us on a path that's right, you know, very centrist, mm-hmm. and it, he's going to be getting attacked from both sides really heavily. But he could, I think, to to build off of that, I think he could uh, use he could play both sides almost against the middle because he could go to the progressive wing and say, "Hey, like it's like Mitch is 
you know, I can't, I can't get that through Mitch. Yeah. Like you guys yeah. got to temper your expectations. And on the reverse side, he could be like, Hey, AOC or whomever is leading the progressive charge. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, he can, or he can go to Mitch and say, Hey, like I am, like I've got all this pressure coming from this side. This is what, I mean, come on, work with me on, work with me on these things. Mm-hmm. That way we can keep the progressives, you know, somewhat happy. I think he can, he's such a polished and, um, He's such a, you can just see it. He's such a polished politician that, and he has so many relationships that are going to be very, very important. I, I think he will do an effect. I think he's actually going to do an effective job I, at this very, st- in this very sticky situation that he finds himself in. Listening to you say that, I th- I think, I, I totally agree. He's such a personable, charismatic guy and, and has been here forever. So he has all those relationships. It reminds me of, um, stories that you heard about George H.W. Bush. Um, I know when he passed away, I learned a lot more about his um, career in politics and his presidency. And that's one of the things that people talked about with him is that he like, he had spent so much time in D.C. that he could walk through like any building and he knew not only the, the key players by name, but he knew like the secretaries and the office staff in all of those places. And he was like, known for just being prolific in handwritten notes to people. And that goes such a long way. You can you can get work done with people that you don't agree with if you guys know and understand each other and have a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think it can be attractive to say, well, government's been a mess and we need to bring in an outsider. Um, but then an outsider has to do a lot to form those relationships to create that trust uh, to be able to get the work done. And I think one of the, one of the takeaways I have over the last four years is that that is a really tough hill to climb. And uh, it takes a very special kind of person to be able to do that. And there's certainly is value in having been seasoned in multiple levels of government before jumping in right at the top and trying to make all of that Mm -hmm. happen without uh, knowing and understanding the processes and the people that you need to be working with to get things done. Yeah, and that's the hard thing about uh, about where we are in the factionalism is that both the the loud the loudness on both sides of the extremes on this of both parties are so emotionally driven and they want change rapidly and it's going to be really hard to temper those expectations be very very hard to temper those expectations but it's not like Biden was like you said Biden was not elected on a man like basically elected on a progressive mandate i mean his coalition is moderate republicans moderate democrats and progressives progressives make up about maybe a third of his coalition so i mean he, he this notion that he's going to be this progressive president. Well, he doesn't have, he doesn't have a man. He doesn't have quote, quote the mandate from his party to be that because he won with moderates significantly. So I, I, I think he's going to be, I, I just, I hope that he's going to be, I have faith that he's going to be an effective, an effective leader, because I think the, the one thing that it gives you cover being the knowing that you're going to be a one-term president is that you're not really afraid to, to, to ruffle some feathers because you're not, you're not running for reelection. Now, is he setting up, uh, you know, Senator Harris, vice, now vice president elect, uh, vice president elect Harris to, to basically be his second term. I, I, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll find that as we get down the road, but I don't know, Jeff, what are you, how are you feeling? On this um, day? there, Oh boy. 
So uh, one thing I have to say, calling Jen out a little bit, is she, she cried. Really? Yeah, I think it's just the then that was just like that is just the buildup of like what is happening. Like, is it, it? Did she? Like I said before, like she was watching the TV like a hawk and never stepped away. And when I when I woke up Saturday morning and I like I rolled over and I was like, hey, and she's like, yeah, and I was like, Biden won. Like she freaked out, dude. She just put her hands up in the air and was like. Yes. And then she was immediately pissed that she didn't get to see the announcement. She's like, I spent days staring at the TV just waiting for this. I, had a, I, had I think everybody moment. had that moment. I was, yeah. I was standing in the kitchen making breakfast and like the family's all running around. I had like on election night, we'd had the TV on and like it was one of the few times I put my foot down. I was like, we need to have the TV on with this because there could be you yeah, know historic right. things happening. And then, you know, it didn't happen Tuesday. And then Wednesday night, I was like, well, maybe it's going to get called. And then. Yeah. You know, by Saturday morning, it's like I refresh Twitter on my phone and go, oh, there you go. Yeah. 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 I was sitting so. in the duck blind. Were you? Yeah. That's cool. I left my phone. Uh, I My phone was down to 1%. And I knew it was going to die, but I had a feeling <laughs> that it was going to happen. So I made sure that my, like, I put my phone away for the whole morning mm. just so I could, you know, I could be there. I could have that update. So You're anyway. always running around with a dead phone, dude. I really am. <laughs> I really so, am. I have an iPhone 8 and it has no battery yeah. life. I got to take some pressure off of Jen and yeah. I'll, I'll be transparent. Yeah. I, I got pretty emotional at, um, two things. Yeah. One, um, the, I don't know if you've seen the story, but, um, Joe Biden has, uh, two German shepherds Yeah. and one of them is, uh, a rescue dog. Mm -hmm. And so just like the realization that for the first time in our country's history, a rescue dog is going to live in the White House. Right. And I was like, you know, in the midst of everything that's going on mm -hmm. and going around, like what a symbol for the American dream. Right. So I'm just going to put it out there right now that if somebody doesn't in like the next 48 hours write a book about major mm -hmm. and the American dream, <laughs> I'm going to write it because yeah, just write that, it, dude. that needs to be a kid's book. For and sure. That's awesome. It, it, it like, I mean, I love dogs and, and I just, I don't know that just, that got me for whatever for reason. Sure. The other, the other thing that got me and I, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but there's a graphic artist that created this image of Kamala Harris walking oh, yeah. and her shadow cast against the wall is, uh, is it Ruby Bridges? That was yeah. the first yeah. um, black girl to integrate mm -hmm. in, I think it was Alabama, mm -hmm. but the, the, optics of that picture mm -hmm. and like recognizing that there are people who are alive today yeah. who, who, who were alive at that moment in history. Um, we, we sometimes, I know I'm guilty of this, of being born past when segregation was right. Ended right. Yeah. And things like that. And like, I have a friend that lives in Mississippi and her, either grandparents or great grandparents were slaves. Right. Like, we are not that far removed no. from that reality. And so I, I'm not somebody that's like hardcore, like big time into feminism, not right, because right. I don't be believe in that, but I know there are people who like that really, that moment meant so for much sure. more for them. Yeah. But, but to me to see that and to, I appreciated some of what she shared too in, in her victory speech of mm -hmm. saying, you know, there are young girls who look like and actually Maya Rudolph did a great job of kind of spoofing this mm -hmm. on Saturday Night Live because she she got on and said I want to speak to the the young 
uh, black and brown girls in this country. So the reason that your mom is has been laughing all day is because she's drunk. <laughs> and the reason that she's crying right now is also because she's drunk. Right. But uh, it, just like the idea that that stuff matters. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and it's not just because she checks boxes, but it's because she she's had the opportunities in life to become an eminently qualified mm-hmm. candidate to serve as vice president of the United right. States. And that stuff is important. So I just, I, I think we all kind of were on that ride last sure. week and it, it comes to a head. I, I had several other times too, for whatever reason, I was like going back through like old books I have of life magazine mm-hmm. photos and oh, articles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and got down some rabbit holes about John McCain yeah. and oh, his, oh, yeah. his concession speech in 2008 mm-hmm. just got me. And then right. uh, the story where he was doing a town hall and a lady tried to attack Barack Obama for his uh, citizenship and mm-hmm. claiming he was a Muslim and how he just grabbed the mic back and shut that down and the, the yeah. grace with which he conducted himself. It's right. just, I think that's what, the three of us, when we talk about like this return to the perception or the the picture of what we have as a right. as a president, and we see Joe Biden taking us to that place, and we hear him saying that's what he intends to do. That's it's so encouraging, and I think it stirs those emotions. Right. Uh, I think the one 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 part that like I really got choked up on was during uh, Harris's acceptance speech was just like. I'm probably crying a little bit too, but just the, you know, she is a female in that position and a woman in that position. And like my buddy, Jesse, his daughter is due, like they're going to have a daughter in like two weeks and she's going to be born into a world where a woman has been elected as vice president. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a thing that's already happened now. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, that's never happened. So, you know, it's, it, I, always, I think about history and I think about like 9-11 and like kids that are born today, they're like, yeah, what is 9-11? But to us, we live through that historic moment. And um, African-Americans all over the world seeing or all over the United States, especially seeing Barack Obama being elected as president, living through that moment. But kids who are born today, African-American black kids who are born today that's history to them. It's already happened. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So now that's a, that's, that's something that, that has been done and can be done. But at the time we've lived through it all, it hadn't been done. So in the same way with Harris, it's like, I'm like, we're, I'm living through it. And I'm like, whoa, dude. Like, you know, I have my niece and other people in my life that I know that are, that are girls and women who, who look to that and they're just like, they're living through that. It's, 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 I don't know. I think it's super awesome. Um, I love Joe Biden running to the podium. Mm-hmm. Just have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch that at first, and then I saw like somebody showing on the replay. And I... <laughs> oh, dude, is he running? I'm like, oh, get it, Joe, get it. It reminds me of that clip of Bernie Sanders getting off the escalator in an airport and like shuffling to like <laughs> hustle through. Yeah. But it's just like it's that old man shuffle. But it's oh, I love it's it. Great. I'm like, I look at Jen. I go, Trump can't even walk down a ramp. This dude's running to the podium. I know. Um, Jen brought up a really interesting point about, and kind of to tie back to the guys, what you guys were talking about, as far as being in the government for so long and having connections is is the ability to like just jump in and know people who can fill those roles, not just at the you know at at, at a higher level, but like 
maybe no staff who can come in and fill those and just have things move like a well-oiled machine to know like, oh, I have the perfect person for this job or that's aides and, and secretaries, all those positions. Mm-hmm. Because he's been in so long and has these connections, he might be able to fill those. Yeah. I thought that was an excellent point by Jen. Um, and finally, I think, uh, you know, I'm just going to reiterate, I think you both have, and this is something I've been thinking over and over, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be significant and important and we'll see how it plays out. The fact that he is a one-term president. Yeah. Um, we're, we're yeah we're already saying that it, it like it like it's fact, but it just feels it just kind of he's fe- old, dude. It, just, it feels that he's way. He's old, but also I think the biggest point is I think you said Jake, um, he'll be able to uh, kind of like be like. <laughs> I got nothing to lose. Like, let's try it. Mm-hmm. Um, and one more thing I want to say that I've been seeing that is really frustrating is you're talking about him getting in these institutions and like the international role. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, talking with you and having the show, I think that's great. Um, I don't think that that's a bad thing. Fox News the other day had Joe Biden's platform is America last. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, come on. <sighs> that's just. And they're pushing it no. hard. Not even Rep- not even Republican foreign policy people think that Trump's foreign policy was a <laughs> was a good strategy. Yeah. Um. So because as I pointed out all the time, as I've pointed out multiple times on this on this platform. Yeah. Is that regardless of change between Democrats and Republicans since World War II, our foreign policy has pretty much remained the same regardless of the party in power, and right. that's mostly because. Traditional Republicans and traditional Democrats view and view America's role abroad pretty much the same way. Yeah, and it's worked out. I mean, it's obviously it's had its ups and downs. It's yeah. had its failures. You're never going to bat a thousand internationally, uh, or even come close to that. But it's worked out pretty dang well, and I think returning to that is a good thing. That does not put America last in any way, right. shape, or form. Um. Yeah. I, I just just to, to build off this point of Biden knowing people in these relationships. Yeah, he outsmarted he outsmarted Trump with this GSA thing because he already has he had like a two thousand person team. Yeah, he had assembled on foreign policy, getting his foreign policy like um, narrowed nailed down who is who is people were going to be who is you know he's got all of all of his for, basically his entire foreign policy like apparatus mm-hmm. was already set two months ago yeah and had been advising him on that already so he doesn't need that gsa approval and no. all the formalities he already is like i know what trump's going to do when i win he's going to keep me from being able to formally have all this stuff right. so let's have that done by the time so january 20th we can hit the ground running instead of being delayed Behind, by a couple right. months he biden is biden is a, is a savvy vet and he's doing savvy vet moves. Right. He's, he's he is uh, Zach Ra- he's Zach Randolph in the paint, knowing how to get that foul when he needs to. <laughs> he's playing chess, not checkers. <laughs> really playing chess, not yeah. checkers. Yeah. Whereas Trump ate the checkers. So, yeah. um, <laughs> the I, I just I, I'm 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 hopeful. One point I want to finally maybe end this on is uh, unless you have something else to add, CJ. But uh, this show doesn't end with Trump losing. We will be critical of Joe Biden and this administration I'm and the government. Be, I'm about to be critical on Joe Biden. Oh, I know you yeah. are. <laughs> um, and and then and then that's part of our role and our jobs as citizens in this country is you know we're not 
we're not part of a cult of personality. You're not going to see me decal my car at Joe, as Joe Biden's imagery or his name because he's a politician. And mm-hmm. my job is to hold him accountable for what we expect or what even what I expect, regardless of if that's for the greater good or not. And I'm going to do so. Mm-hmm. So suck it. <laughs> Anything to add? No. I, We're going to end on suck it? Okay, cool. <laughs> We're not going to end on suck it. We're going to shift gears from suck it, and we're going to talk about mandates. Oh, we are? Okay, let's go. Are we, did we, did we, are, did we want to end the episode? No, or? I mean, we still have uh, They Said It Best, and I guess we're talking about Jake taking us on mandates. Okay, so one thing you'll notice, if you listen to Joe Biden's speeches lately, right before the election and then his victory speech, he, both, he, used, he used intentionally the word mandate. We were elected with a mandate. Okay. And that is important wording. Because that is that is a that is out of Trump's playbook. This is something that the Trump campaign started when they were when they won election in 2016. Is that they were they were saying we don't have to work with Congress because we were elected by the American people, which gives us a mandate to pursue what we want to pursue, regardless of what other people want. Because we won the election, you're the losers, we're the winners, we're doing what we want. That is a very that mandates are a very British thing, in um, be in in a in Parliament because of the way their their system works. They don't have they have minority parties that have zero powers. Zero, like minority powers don't have any voting power in Parliament, and they run on man like the party runs on a mandate. They had they come out with before the election. The party will come out with a manifesto and say this is what we're going to do. When you win election on that manifesto, you are then mandated to pursue those those ABCs, those very drawn out specific policy proposals. Like you are mandated to do that, and you have to have one hundred percent of your party voting uh, with that mandate in order for you to maintain power. It's a very it's it's structured that way with their um, Westminster style uh, democracy. The United States is completely different. Mandates don't exist because neither party comes out with a manifesto prior to the election saying these are our exact policy proposals. You get less and less policy specifics with each with each new election. So this this idea that you have a that the United States has a like we have a mandate and we have to the and therefore we don't have to compromise because the American people gave us this mandate. Well, the American people gave the president a specific, maybe a specific mandate to follow, but we have speci- we have separate elections mm. in the United States. The president is elected on a, ma- as, on a mandate on the platform that he ran on, but Congress running a completely separate election from him was also elected with their own specific mandate. So you have competing mandates, whereas with the British in the British context, then you have one mandate because the prime minister comes from the elected party. You don't vote for the prime minister in England. We have separate elections specifically because they because of checks and balances that are inherent in our system. Congress is going to pursue its. It, Congress is designed to pursue its own policies. The president is de, was elected to pursue his own policies, and at some point they have to compromise. So this notion of this Biden using the term mandate worries me. I, I talk about how I'm hopeful, mm-hmm. but I'm also worried by his repeated use of this term mandate mm-hmm. because what does that mean for how he's going to pursue his policies is he going to, is that mm-hmm. he's going to use more executive orders to get stuff done if he can't get through congress i mean that's i, I don't know but yeah. that's me being that's the first sign of like 
I need to call this out because sure. I don't like his word, his term of the murder mandate, if he's using it in the context of uh, Trump used it. Right. And because that's not how our system is intended to work. So if this is how he's going to govern, you're going to get a lot of pushback from Jake if he's con- sure. going to continue to use this mandate word. Right. I think it could also be uh, used as a as a political or public relations tool to say this is what the people of the country have expressed as their wants or desires. And we talked about the fact that um, only a portion of the Senate was up, you know, because Senate served six year terms. So it's, it's reminding all of these senators who are sitting in office that this election also represented what the American people have said they want and, and to create some pressure there to say, Hey, we may not have a majority in the Senate. That may be a place where, there's um, resistance to things that we are wanting to do. Um, but I'm going to call public attention to saying, this is what I view the election at. This is the lens through which I view the ballots that were cast for for myself mm-hmm. and the things that I'm hearing you say we need to accomplish. And then kind of putting that pressure on Mitch McConnell and the Senate, right. especially if they have that Republican majority, to say... You know, in two years when you're up for re-election, which Mitch was just re-elected, but many of those other Republican senators, in two years when you're up for re-election, um, we're going to be really clear that starting in 2021, this is the path we tried to pursue, and we're going to make it very clear to the American people whether or not you were on board with that program. Um, right. But I do I do hear what you're saying, Jake, and I think it's interesting because you had mentioned to us the term mandates, and I didn't remember hearing it specifically, mm-hmm, but... Either. Um, I, I think in the context of of how Biden was elected, it's it's interesting to try and think about like what would be considered a mandate because like we've talked about, his support came from this coalition of people. It came from people on the far left saying like I'm going to hold my nose and vote for him because when I didn't do that in 2016, we got such a worse result, and then moderate and right leaning people who say when I look at how the last four years have gone and how we've lost some of those stabilizing factors and forces and norms that make us who we are. I, I can in good conscience support four more years of that. So I'm going to break with my traditional party rank to support uh, a candidate that I think is going to do a better job of moving us back that direction. It's really hard to take that group and come away with what is a clear, concise mandate to say like, the majority of people want these things to happen. Um, Mm. But I do think I saw a quick list that somebody had put together. And so I thought that maybe that's where you were going, but it was talking about COVID and the economy um, and the environment. And I think there was one other one that I can't remember now what came to mind, but I think, you know, even with those three, there's so much, um, What's the right word? Sorry. So so much uncertainty about what's what's the path or what what do people actually want? We talked about that last time and how people assumed that in exit polling, if somebody listed COVID as their number one concern, those were people that were voting for Biden because they wanted a stronger national policy around how we contain that outbreak or the pandemic. But there's also an argument to be made that there were people who voted for Trump with COVID as their number one thing because they want us to get back to life as normal and for this thing to go away just because we say it's gone and we're going to go back to our normal life. And so 
even just distilling it down like to these simple phrases like that, it's really hard to say like, what does that actually mean for policy? And is that something that truly has this broad bipartisan consensus that uh, president elect Biden might be trying to, to argue that it does. I think you brought up something that I, I want to also touch on, even though as I talked about calling out Biden and, and I think you and I were both guilty of not doing this enough, but it's, you're talking about, uh, the lower levels of government, the more local levels of government being mandated by the people to, you know, do, you know, speak for the constituents. Also holding those people accountable. Mm-hmm. Look, the third congressional district representative, that one, I don't agree with and I didn't vote for her. But now, and I think I would, I, I would, I'm now thinking about Carolyn winning as also, it's my responsibility to also hold both. Herrera Butler and Carolyn Long responsibility responsible for the things that they're doing as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, specifically yeah. Herrera Butler because she won. But I'm just saying, like, I'm thinking about you're talking about the mandates, right? And and what they're expected to do or what they, you know, we are mandated by the people. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hold those people accountable. Yeah. If they're there. It's not just the president. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's the executive and everybody looks at it that way, but. You know, once Trump won, everything's peachy, right? No, you need to look at everybody down the line and do everything that they do affects us more directly than what happens at that national level and with him. And another thing I was thinking about and kind of what you were saying, you brought up COVID, CJ, and you brought up, um, what was the other thing? Economy, Economy and, and the environment. Environment. When you're talking about governing by executive order, I don't. I think that those are kind of the things that we will see executive orders being signed for, but I'm not certain. And I know how you feel about that, Mm -hmm. but I'm just saying like maybe if there is no collective action to address these things, that those are where we're going to see executive orders signed to make things happen. Mm -hmm. Well, he's already announced three executive orders, um, reversing the immigration, the immigration bans. Mm -hmm. Um, He's going to, uh, re-enter the Paris Climate Accords, I, yeah, and that's another thing I thought he was. Uh, yeah. And then there was what was the there's a third one. It had to has to do with I can't remember, but all three, and, yeah. and specifically the immigration ban and re-entering the Paris Climate Accords are within the scope of pres- the presidential power. Right. So signing executive orders for those purposes, right. Um, is within his power, and I don't have a problem with him using executive orders mm-hmm, for those purposes. Mm-hmm. And you, well, somebody would point out, well, doesn't Congress have to ratify treaties? Right. Well, only if the treaty is binding. The, there's nothing binding in the Paris Climate Accords that binds the United States to where it would have to pass specific policies yeah. in order to achieve that oh, treaty. I get what you're saying. So the Paris Climate, the United, the United States can be in the Paris Climate Accords without senate approval because there's nothing binding in it that's right that is one of the the weak parts but also one of the geniuses about the paris climate accords and how things have to work internationally in order to get a broad broad uh broad membership amongst something is you have to have it as little binding as possible because states still to their core are going to hold on to their sovereignty and yeah. even if it's in their best interest to give up a little bit of sovereignty to work for the collective good there is so much pushback mm-hmm. on that just um just naturally mm-hmm. because they don't want you, know, you who wants an internet who wants the inter, some international organization telling me how to run my own country so you That's have to point. you have to have these non-binding agreements and hoping that overall like norms 
prevail over time. Yeah. And like that's what you have, but that's the international, but yeah. that's the international yeah, stage. Is. That's how things get done there. So it's, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't have a problem with those executive orders, but I mean, I'm remain watchful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, and then you, I think you brought up another point that I was thinking about as far as I think maybe we'll see more executive orders being used to reverse things that have been done. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that be, you know, oh, he's going to stop the the funding of the border wall. Which, I mean, at this point, no! like the the, rea- the, rea- the reappointment of so he's stopping the reappointment of funds from federal agencies to pay for the border wall, okay, which was constitutionally questionable the Trump administration anyway. So you would say stopping that by executive order would be within his constitutional mm, rights, I gotcha, right? I, gotcha. I mean, yeah. I would assume so. He's the executive; he picks, you know, he decides how federal agencies go about their business. Right. So, anyway. All right, forever watchful. Forever watchful. Watch the watchers. Who watches the Watchmen? Hmm. Nobody <laughs> uh, watches the Watchmen. That's the problem. That's well, I don't know, dude. Have you watched the boys? I have. Have you? No. Okay. I'm on season two. I haven't started season two. But season one. Season one was really good. Wow. Do you know what it's about? No. It's like a corporatized, politicized superheroes. Okay. That are like, dude. It's. Well, they, they try to blend like patriotism and nationalism and religion, and it's yeah. just dude, the manipulation is so apparent. Yeah, like it's pretty uh, good. It's pretty it's pretty it's hardcore well show, but it's on Amazon Prime. Um, and it's like if there were real superheroes in the world, what would that? What could that look okay. like? And you know, it's it's interesting because they're the most powerful human beings in the world, but their weakness and their governance is the media. And how they're portrayed to the people around the world. And sure. to me, I'm just like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Anyways, you should check it out. Listeners, check it out. I don't know. It gets a little hardcore sometimes. But Homelander. Oh, my God. What a great name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. It's time for They Said It Best, dudes. All right. It's almost time to get out of here. It's a Wednesday, and I want to get this. Do we do it early? I don't know. I asked, and nobody responded, so suck it. <laughs> we always release on Thursdays. Okay. You want to do it Thursday? Well, you can just release tonight at midnight. Okay, I'll time it. Okay. Oh, uh, so I'm saying it best first is what I'm gathering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My first, they said it best, and here you go. He There's a song with no words. Exactly. <laughs> instrumental. <laughs> um, Um, what? I, didn't, I just didn't want to talk. I want to let it breathe. Hang on, Bridge is like, oh, it's that part right there. So, um, for those of you that aren't familiar, hopefully many of you recognize this rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. Um, if you don't, that is Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock uh, playing the Star Spangled Banner. And I mentioned that last week, kind of in dealing with and processing everything, I was kind of taking this historical dive and I was thinking about all different kinds of things and for whatever reason um, I I thought about this particular performance which I think I first discovered when I was in college mm-hmm. but um, one, Jimi Hendrix is amazing and two, I think this performance happening at Woodstock is just there's there's so many cool things about it because yeah. of everything that Woodstock stood for as far as young people 
gathering um, in a lot of ways, like understanding and exerting their agency mm-hmm. and doing that through like a context of protest right. and of um, like really rebellion. I mean, mm-hmm. you could look at all the stories of Woodstock and the things that were happening there, the rampant drug use and right. all the different things like that. But what I think is really cool is that that event, mm-hmm. it kind of started out as like, we're going to do this festival thing. And then it like swelled and yeah. just like became insane. Like um, there was not enough food for people. There was like all <laughs> the stuff going on with, so there was like people needing medical attention and things right. like that. And it could have gotten sideways really fast mm-hmm. and been like much a much more tragic was it 99 event. where they rioted and like yeah. tore down the stage and lit stuff on fire <laughs> yeah i mean we've seen that what's happened but what i think is cool is i can't remember the specific timeline but i know Jimi hendrix was performing in the morning mm-hmm. and it was toward the latter part of the event and so people were at this it reminds me of last week when we were all waiting right trying to figure out like what's going on and we were feeling like uncertain and frayed um and then he comes on stage and plays the national anthem, which for this audience that was in a lot of ways like expressing rebellion. Right. I thought it was so cool. I think we've talked about at times like how it, it feels like our flag has been politicized the, in the last several years. And I think the anthem could be something like that too. And this to me feels like this young... American audience in the late 60s that is like trying to find their way in their place in the world like claiming an identity and saying this thing belongs to us too and what I think is also most impactful or powerful to me is if you listen to the performance because it's Jimi Hendrix he's putting his flair on it and he's doing a lot of ad-libbing and I remember in college when I listened to it, the thing that I thought about is when you listen to some of the ad-libs and you know that this was a performance done in 1969, to me it feels like he took the audience to Vietnam in some of the ad-libs they did with his guitar. He makes it sound like there's bombs dropping. He makes it sound like there's sirens going off. And then you just heard like part of taps being played. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like so much strong symbolism that's like, when we play this anthem, it's it's not just about our country here. It's about our presence around the world and and our peers who are in a foreign country um, d- trying to defend the ideals that we stand for. Right. I saw I saw somebody share last week, um, kind of in reaction and response to the election, saying, "Hey kids, don't forget you can vote your way into communism, but you have to shoot your way out." And um, (laughs) so the person that shared that, though, um, I was having a conversation with my brothers about it. And I said, you know, we have to remember that person was taken against their will and forced to help another country try and shoot their way out of communism in the 1960s. So absolutely. Like, I get that's that's not a take that we all would sign up for and maybe Mm -hmm. get on board with. But. But there's reality there. I would also say um, if you give an executive unchecked power Mm -hmm. and uh, expansionist ideals, you may also have to send your young men, and in this case now our young women, against their will to go and help the world shoot their way out of, you know, an an expansionist 
authoritarian leader. So I, to me, I just, I, the national anthem is something that um, I think about in a few different contexts, but that performance stands out in my mind. I happened to be at the Blazer game where the young girl forgot the lyrics oh, yeah, and yeah. Maurice Cheeks came and sang with her. Mm-hmm. I will never forget that. Yeah. Um, I get choked up watching video Off, of that because yeah. what a cool moment. Yeah. And then um, the other one that stands out in my mind is um, I went to a college football game at Mississippi State University and way up high in the bleachers looking out across a totally different part of the country than where I'm from Mm -hmm. and listening to the marching band play the national anthem Mm -hmm. and recognizing that like this thing that we do at blazer games that I, you know, look at the flag hanging on the wall, like recognizing that that happens everywhere Mm -hmm. and that it's something that brings us all together. Again, I think about like that Jimi Hendrix performance and that's what I see is like, that's a reminder. This is something that brings us all together. Unless we're kneeling. (laughs) <laughs> uh do you so, ever listen to tom morello no you know who that is no he's a guitar player for like rage against the machine oh, okay Audio yeah dude he so much of what hendrix is doing there reminds me of like what tom does on guitar yeah and like i'll send you this video of him he's talking about like how he got into guitar and started playing guitar and he he one point when he started, when he picked up a guitar and he, he would watch like uh, Steve Vai and all these just like legends, Satriani mm-hmm. and just learning how to shred. And then he was like, well, I want to do more. And people would tell him like, I mean, everything that's done on guitar has been done already. And he, he thought like, this is a fairly new instrument. How is that possible? So then he started coming up with all different ways of like making different sounds and like mm-hmm. he's literally perfected like this chopper sound i'll have to show you. it's amazing but that yeah. hendrix rendition reminded me of morello's like taking a you know this is what a, the guitar is in a box and it's nothing more nothing less and then flipping that on its yeah. head in the same way this is the national anthem it's how it's performed no matter what and then challenging that and saying well is it well and i think it's so cool because like I said, there's all the, these ad libs, and to me, they mm-hmm. they tell a story. And for me, this week or last week when I was listening to it, it didn't just take me to Vietnam, but it also took me to Woodstock. Right. And right. and like, there's so much about those things and the history that I I think can inform and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I was telling you guys I was trying to find like historical parallels to what we were going through last week, and even in some ways what we're going through now. Yeah. And there really isn't, but I think it's it's been comforting to me to look at all the different things that we have gone through as a country and to recognize that we may have a media now that helps us really escalate or or blow those things mm-hmm. into a higher mm-hmm. proportion. But um, ultimately, we get through these things together. Right. So, yeah. What's up, Jake? No, you you go. No, nope, it's your turn. My turn? Yep. Well, okay. Unless you wanted to go last. I but I, uh, we already got the song up, so I guess I'll go. So this is... Uh, Why'd you want to go last? Huh? Oh, nothing. I just... Not any reason. <laughs> uh, this you is, wanted to end on yours? No. You wanted to, it. like, go out with a bang? No, a I was... A banger? No, 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 no. I was... Nothing. <laughs> the, uh... This isn't a banger, but this is a song by the band Cold, Cold War Kids uh, called Can We Hang On. Uh, it's just, I won't get too deep into it. It's just a song that uh, um, I think it has really good feel to it. And I think it's just, it's talking about 
always like I don't know like when you are fighting with somebody or you're thinking about like walking a walking away um, you know in, you, we focus on really bad we always focus on the really negative things and we discount the positives because I think psychologically we, we weight negatives three times higher than we weight rate positive memories right so forcing yourself to re- when you're really down or you're really frustrated with somebody uh, stopping and um, and reminding yourself of the good of the the good times and because like there are far more better times and there are bad times and um just make consciously making that uh making that decision is something that i think about when i listen to this song and i i think it's the the lyrics here just from start to finish are just really really well done um so i'm just going to kind of uh, that's all i really have to say about it okay in um so yeah, I just I think I'm just gonna let the music roll for a little bit. I really like the line, uh, can't cut out this madness and get, uh, can't cut out this madness and get back to the best. Um, it's interesting that you thought about all that because I was thinking of it in such a political context mm. and I don't know why, Okay, but I totally did. Hmm. You know, can we hang on? You like in this limbo period that we are all kind of feeling. So that's kind of what I attributed to it. Okay. But one thing I want to say that you brought up about relationships Jesse and I were talking recently about a specific friend, and this friend, we can get frustrated with sometimes, but he is, when we're talking about him, we're talking, but we were talking about, like, he can be a little frustrating sometimes, but then we talk about, like, how just in the hardest times or roughest things that either Jesse and I have gone through, this friend has stepped up and done incredible things that it's like, dude. No matter how annoying or some, sometimes they can be in their behavior, their character shines through in those moments when they're there for us. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I think that that like reevaluating relationships, not just, you know, with the spouse or another person, but within our friendships, you know, um, being the trying to be the above of everything that is bothering you to reach out to a friend that you've had for a long time and just mm-hmm. be like, dude, I'm going to forget everything because it's easier to focus on the negative. Mm hmm. Um, more specifically, I'm thinking about Matt now, Oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and, and from, I was like, you know what? Screw this dude. Like he bailed on me for the podcast. Like that was one incident, but there's far more better memories with Matt and good things that Matt has done for me and our friendship that mm-hmm. ultimately led me to just go, dude, why are you being a bitch? Like get over it. Cause there are better things, but it's harder and easier to concentrate and focus on the negative. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was similar to you, Jeff, where I was thinking of this kind of in the political lens. Oh, yeah. Uh, but what I think, too, is like there's the broader, like, as a nation, can we can we come together? But I think there's also an individual message there of can I, as an individual, um, in, the, in the relationships that I have and in the relationships that I have with 
whether it's the government or the media or whatever. That's that's what I see too. And last week, as I was looking back through examples in history, you know, it's really easy for us to, we talked about how are people going to view this time? It's easy for us to look and say, oh, well, in, you know, the 1940s, everybody just rah, rah, rallied together. Or even you talked about the context of 9-11, and it will be easy from a historical lens to say, well, this tragedy happened and the whole country pulled together. Right. And not to remember that it was it was a turbulent time. Yeah, oh, there, yeah. there was not unanimous. It was interesting. I was reading an old Life magazine article that talked about from the time that Pearl Harbor happened into like the United there States going is, to baby. war <laughs> on both fronts. And they mentioned the fact that the initial um, declaration of war against Japan, mm-hmm. uh, one person in the House, and they went out of their way to say a female... I think I, I know this story. Yeah, voted against going yeah. to war with Japan, and so it made me interested to go and see like who was that person, right? And then later, when they declared war on Germany, it was unanimous. But mm-hmm. the the point is like it's never as as perfect. It's always there's always challenge and and a mess to these things. Mm-hmm. But I think it's about perspective. It's do we have optimism? Do we assume positive intent? Do we find those common grounds mm-hmm. and and the ways that we can be drawn closer together um or do we you know or do we focus only on the negative and the things that drive us apart right there's a quote i don't know what it is <laughs> that was the biggest bang right there mm-hmm. um clangs of passion yeah clangs of passion <laughs> dude that needs to be a sticker <laughs> um I don't remember the exact quote but there is a quote about like some uh, something along the lines of like living in the good old days now like you're always living in the good old days mm-hmm. at the time so that makes me think like even the show and this podcast you're quoting the series finale of the office is that it what it is i'm pretty sure it was a cutaway i think it was andy, andy. bernard yeah mm-hmm. yeah and he was like we always talk about the good old days and i wish there was a way to know you're in the good the old days. days that's what it is yeah i can't i heard it on a podcast recently but i mean you never know, right? And this song is talking about, think about the good old days, but like, and it's great. And I love nostalgia. It's a damn curse. Mm-hmm. But if you if you stop and think about like your day to day and 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 if you focus on the negativity, like you're saying, Jake, then it can get hard and it can get brutal. But there's always a silver lining and there's always a good thing. And you know, I'm thinking about Jen and I and the medical stuff that we've gone through the last four years and, and losing Dexter, right? What a tragic, hurtful thing that we had to go through. But eight years with that damn dog mm-hmm. was epic. Yeah. For me, the, the line that stuck out the most was like um, passing, we passing like ships in the night. Like, are we going to just allow those relationships to end and not say anything because right. it's too oh. hard to not say so it's it's easy to not say something right and put yourself in a vulnerable mm-hmm. position to um to apologize or to make amends or it's just easier to just let those relationships go because you don't want to have that that awkwardness in the moment and don't so don't let those things don't let those relationships and those people pass like ships in the night because yeah. of petty squabbles that you're you know, that feel so big in the moment, but 10 years from now, you're going to think, why was I so mad about that? Or why was I like, why did I, you know, why did I let that go? And, um, so that's just something that is like, I I listen to the song a lot Mm -hmm. and that's something I always think about when I listen to it. Um, those hard conversations, whether they're with a, a significant other or friends, they never, they all, not always, I don't want to use those absolutes, but generally they end up 
being worth getting through. Mm-hmm. Even if it, if you feel bad about yourself or someone else is feeling bad, working through those conversations and just talking more often than not ends up better for, for both people. Mm-hmm. Um, good choice. Thank Jay. you. Uh, Joshua Hislop. Thank God, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you and Kylie both just can like you guys shit on me for listening. I'm to with him. you, girl. I got you. Um, I picked MXPX. This is off their most recent album. It's called 2020 Hindsight. This is from their. This is from their most recent album. Yeah. God, this sounds like 2002. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> um, I think just the title alone. I was thinking politically with this, and I couldn't help but think of like Donald Trump uh, sitting in the White House. I'm panicking, baby. Don't let them take me. Don't let them take me from everything I know. Uh, that's, where, that's funny. Where will I go if I end up all alone? How will I know when the time has come to go? So, I don't know. Um, I'm sure that's exactly what they had in mind when they put this song oh, together. I'm sure. Um, this album's amazing. Anyways, just a little punk rock for you guys. Yeah, I like it. Similar theme in this song, actually. I mean, it's it's nostalgic. Yeah. And it's like, am I recognizing, am I recognizing what's happening right now? And I've got that oh, twenty yeah. twenty hindsight. So it's like, I'm, you know, I'm not sure what's going on yeah. right now. But when I look back at it, it'll all make sense in a way. Oh, look at him yeah, tying it I, with a bow. Yeah, I liked um, I liked the the twenty twenty mindset part or uh, hindsight. Mostly, because I think it's like I'm not that use. Like, if I'm if I'm honest, I'm not that useful. But I had that 2020 mindset. That means he has the ability to learn from his past, right? And that makes him useful in a way. Right. So I like I like that. I mean, MXPS is the best. I've seen him. Some, times. Sometimes <laughs> I wander to that road I turned off so long ago and wonder where it goes and the different story that might have been told. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's that we we all question the choices that we're making oh, yeah. and and wonder like is there is there a logic or a purpose to this <laughs> uh yeah the the constant uh, mind of an, a person who has anxiety yeah oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah for sure um but make those you know i've been thinking more and more and there's that nelson, nelson mandela quote but make those decisions based on hope not fear mm-hmm. yeah that's a good message all right see you guys next all week. right see you guys see ya